0: Hello, this is David Leet, co-host of the podcast, Talking With My Mouthful. Today's episode is what we call a mouthful favorite. It's our Thanksgiving special from years ago, or what Renee likes to call the equivalent of the Charlie Brown classic. The guests, topping, and advice still ring true. Renee, Adam, and I hope you enjoy it, and we all wish you a wonderful and safe holiday.
1: (laughs)
2: I'm, tired of all this candy. I'm ready for my turkey
3: day.
2: Thanksgiving is back and it's gonna be delicious.
0: delicious. I've already rehearsed my wishbone wishes. Candied yams, cranberry sauce from, from, from a can, can, black olives on my fingers. Because, because I can man. can, man, but nothing else really can compete
4: with a plate
5: piled up with fresh
0: turkey. Meat. Renee, you know, this is our first Thanksgiving together. Do you realize that?
4: thought about it like that.
0: We've worked together for, what, four years? Yeah. This is our first year across the table for Thanksgiving.
4: Interesting. Mm. And it does kind of feel like Thanksgiving, because whenever we spend this much time together, I do feel like I need a drink.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, it's just like family, isn't it? Argue and drinking, argue and drinking. So tell me, I really don't know, what is it you like about Thanksgiving most?
4: You know, I like the emphasis on people. Mm -hmm. I like the fact that E and I crowd out the rest of the world actually our families are all far away so we tend not to travel on Thanksgiving and it's just the two of us Mm. and I really like that it's not the traditional turkey dinner. What do you Um, have? It varies from year to year. One year we made turkey sandwiches and grabbed some bottles of champagne and took my Jeep out to the beach. Mm-hmm. And it was just the two of us in the waves and it was perfect. That's nice. Uh, last year we had momofuku fried chicken. What a sight. Yeah, it was close to turkey, we thought. And we stood there in their kitchen and we ate that chicken right as it came out of the fryer. Mm. And we had champagne and candlelights and to me it was perfect. I'm imagining that's not how you and the one celebrate Thanksgiving. No oh, no no no. So what do you like most about Thanksgiving?
0: What do I like most about Thanksgiving? I like people fawning over my food. Oh, falling all over the buffet table, that's what I like.
4: Do they actually fawn?
0: They do. They do. They fawn. There's the pumpkin cake with maple cream cheese frosting.
4: Beaters always rave about huge. that, actually.
0: There is the uh, celery root and potato gratin, which is fantastic. There's the two Portuguese stuffings, one with bread, one with potato. And you know what happens? Six o'clock, the curtain rises, and there I am. and everybody It's the David it's, show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is not the first time I've heard that. And everybody comes in, but what people do not know, this is the secret, people do not know how freaked out I am inside the whole day I'm freaked out. Why? You think about it, how many times a year do you make turkey? I make it once a year, so I get turkey amnesia. And so, it's just a very anxious, provoking day for me.
4: Well, I think a lot of people feel like
0: I, that. I agree. They I, forget
4: that practice makes perfect and that they can't expect perfection out of something that you don't do that often. Yes,
0: and that is why we have put together this Thanksgiving special, where we've got lots of experts telling you everything you need to know. We have got Tom Douglas, with some outrageous menu ideas.
4: Yeah, his ideas are great.
0: Yes, then there's Lynn Rosetta Casper talking about <laughs> some pretty wild Thanksgiving disasters. And,
4: and ri- how to learn not to ha- let them happen to you.
0: how to avoid them. And we have John Bridges, our expert on etiquette. I love
4: John Bridges.
0: Boy, I'll tell you, he is very funny. And some other folks that will help you make maybe not the perfect Thanksgiving, but one that will be extraordinarily memorable. My name is David Leet, and I'm the publisher of Leet's Culinario.
4: And I'm Renee Shetler-Rossi, its editor-in-chief.
0: We're taking off our host's hats for this segment, and we're putting on our EMT hats, which stands for Emergency Meal Technician. And this time of year, we are inundated with emails and phone calls. And this year, we've tapped three-time James Beard Award-winning chef, restaurateur, and cookbook author Tom Douglas to explain it all for you.
4: Tom, welcome.
0: Welcome, Thank
5: Tom. Thank you so much.
4: Happy Thanksgiving.
0: You too. Happy
4: Thanksgiving.
0: So we have questions from our readers as I said and we'll start right off with a very important one. This is from Patty and Patty said to brine or not to brine, that is the question.
5: Uh brine. I think that uh it's it's really fun. I think anytime you can do something as simple as brining, I think it's it's great fun as a cook to try something new. Mm -hmm. But then on top of the brining, I think, uh, you know, so the brining, if you do it overnight, it's going to give you a little bit crispier skin Mm because it's going to take some moisture away. Mm -hmm. But um, most people don't use their barbecue grill for turkey because they're nervous or it's cold out or it's snowing or whatever. But my trick on turkey to give it that smokiness is to fill the cavity with maybe a half to three quarters of a cup of dark roasted coffee beans.
3: Oh. oh, wow.
5: And so you put that in and, uh, you know, everyone loves to smell the coffee and sure. the aroma of the beans as the turkey heats up starts to uh, fill your oven and the, the drippings kind of wash through the beans and go into your gravy. And so you get really kind of smoky uh, flavor. It's, it's not smoky like a barbecue smoke, but it's smoky like a like a, um, a brown malt. I am getting wow. so hungry already. It, uh, yeah, <laughs> that you might use in a dark beer. And I just think it's a great way to uh, infuse a turkey with flavor. So, the, yes, Brian, uh, use some good fennel seeds. You know, only use fresh spices. But then uh, take it even one step further. That simple little trick right there will give you an aromatic nature to your turkey that uh, most people never try.
0: That's Perfect. a great idea.
4: So, Tom, you've actually already kind of answered our second question, which comes from Rita, one of our followers on Facebook. Um, she asked if this you put the stuffing in the bird or not, and I'm assuming since there's coffee beans in your bird.
5: Yeah, I have some pretty serious feelings about that, uh, mostly because I love texture in my meal. And Thanksgiving, if you do it the traditional way, ends up being a big blob on the plate. Yep. Mashed potatoes, you know, soft sweet potatoes, turkey, gravy. Uh, stuffing from inside the bird is just a big old blob of blob. And uh, so I'll do my stuffing in a, in a casserole and let the edges get crispy, brown, and golden and crunchy. I'll do the turkey uh, on its own with uh, letting it be what it needs to be along with the gravy. Um, I'll even, on the turkey, I'll put onions underneath the turkey and let them caramelize during the roasting process so that that's the basis of the color yeah. of your gravy. So much turkey gravy is kind of this kind of creamy, wh- whitish gray, yeah. kind of washed out blah. Ugh. And so a uh, rich, dark brown gravy, I think, is really appetizing at the at the Thanksgiving
4: meal.
0: Well, on the site, we have your recipe for the peppery and fennel turkey mm-hmm. with the onion gravy. Okay. Right? Fabulous. Uh, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Our, our testers went absolutely crazy. As a matter of fact, Karen Depp said, this turkey recipe is the one to use if you want a beautiful bird that will steal the dinner show award. Well, I like that. Uh, another one is actually, I think this is a good question, and a lot of people have problems with it. This is from Miriam, and she says, what are the tips for managing the flow of cooking?
5: Well, there's a couple of things I would say to that. Oh, prep, 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 right? Uh, the other thing is, think about who your guest list is. And, you know, you're not there to be the servant of the house. You're there to help get dinner on the table for everyone's traditional celebration. Mm-hmm. And engage your guest in in opportunities to help cook. Uh, and so, when uh, my niece and nephew come over, they're going to be on the salad. And when this mm-hmm. niece and nephew comes over, they're going to be on the butternut squash soup. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, we're going to take care of the brining of the turkey and get it in the oven and do that long roasting process. But my friends Pam and Mike, they can take over the scalloped potatoes. Uh, you know, someone else can do the the spice peaches. You know, so <laughs> love it. Yeah, these are all ways to throw a big dinner and not have you not be able to be back on your feet till after New Year's uh, right? because it's such a difficult scenario. So I think that for any big dinner is to engage. People love being in the kitchen, right? Where do they hang out the most? The kitchen.
0: Always the kitchen. Yeah, Yeah,
5: just
4: give them specific. Yeah. Okay, so the inevitable question.
0: Yeah,
5: here we go.
4: This is from Lori. What menu or recipes would you prepare for a vegetarian Thanksgiving?
5: (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, in our company, we actually have a chief vegetable officer.
4: Uh, oh, nice.
5: We are all about trying to get uh, a better presence of vegetables on the plate, eating the rainbow, so to speak, mm-hmm. and, and and lowering the, uh, the protein ounces at the center of the plate, and just changing the process. Uh, so from a veg- vegetable point of view, I would kind of do just that. I would, instead of trying to say, You know, chefs used to be, if you asked for a vegetarian meal in a restaurant, they oh, we'll make you pasta primavera. So, you know, that's just like a mix of vegetables with some pasta and some butter and white wine. Instead, think about each vegetable separately. So let's just say um, you have beautiful carrots. So let's do carrots roasted in the oven with tarragon and maybe a little... rose hip yogurt. And now that's one dish. Mm -hmm. Let's take some cauliflower, break it up, roast it in the oven, and let's make a cauliflower with golden raisin and black cardamom. And let's focus on the cauliflower. And so now that's a dish. And so when you're just like a turkey dinner where you're scooping up mashed potatoes, you're scooping up green beans, uh, you're putting on the turkey. You're, instead, you're just doing it with vegetables. And, but the vegetables are all competent in their own right.
1: I love that. Uh, and
5: I think that that makes it very interesting. It varies the flavors and textures and temperatures on your plate. And you would never, as a, as a meat eater, I would never quibble with that. I, I love that kind of dinner.
4: I love that approach because, you know, that pleases everybody at the table. Because if there's a turkey in the center, then the vegetarians around the table you know, can just omit that.
0: Exactly. And then if you love turkey, you also can have those incredibly exactly. competent vegetables. I like that. Competent yeah. There's vegetables. A,
5: there's a, and it's well thought out. And a vegetarian feels like they've been considered. Uh, and uh, as a meat eater, I would eat any of those things.
0: So. Exactly. I, totally. So it's a win win. Yep. Now, Cecilia has a question I think is a, a good one. If you decided to go non traditional, meaning that there's no turkey and the usual suspects, what would you serve? And this doesn't have to be vegetarian, clearly. Right. Right. be meat, what would you do?
5: Well, I would definitely do a whole king salmon. That's something that we do at the same time in our house uh, every nice. year. We have a whole roasted fish that's stuffed with slices of sweet fennel, onions, the fennel fronds. We tie it up. Uh, I put it on the charcoal grill. Oftentimes it's so big, the tail and head are hanging out the edges of the grill. (laughs) Uh, And then I just simply serve it to the center of the table uh, with a little compound butter made out of fennel pollen and and toasted fennel seeds, fresh lemon juice, uh, and lemon zest. And I just think it's a beautiful, light, uh, delicious uh, way to celebrate Thanksgiving and probably in this particular part of the country more typical than the turkey itself. So uh, it's really – I I serve both at Thanksgiving, but uh, a salmon – really has kind of that same wow factor that a turkey does when it comes out of the oven and people all gather around and look at the beautiful bronze bird. Stunning.
0: Well, Tom, that is all incredible advice. And we want to thank you so much for stopping by with us. And we want to wish you a very, very happy Thanksgiving.
5: Same to you and to all your lovely listeners.
4: Tom Douglas is the chef and owner of countless, well, okay, maybe not countless, maybe a dozen or so restaurants in the Seattle area. He's also the author of Tom Douglas's Seattle Kitchen, Tom's Big Dinners, and the Dahlia Bakery Cookbook.
1: She would change
0: Renee, did you know that the NIH has conducted a survey that said more anti-anxiety drugs were taken on Thanksgiving morning <laughs> than any other day during the year? Do you know that?
4: You know, I did not know that, although somehow it just well, doesn't surprise me.
0: I'm lying. I'm lying. But, you know, it should be. No, that should be the case. Think about how anxious people get. I freak out on Thanksgiving morning.
4: Well, about the family coming over or no, about, about the, the cooking, cooking part, yeah.
0: right? So that's the reason why we have invited the doyenne of disasters of the Thanksgiving kind, Lynn Rosetta Casper, who for more than a decade has heard every disaster humanly possible on a radio program, The Splendid Table's Thanksgiving morning broadcast, Turkey Confidential.
4: Lynn, what a pleasure to have you here. Oh, it's a pleasure to be with you, too.
0: Hi, Lynn. So tell us, what are some of the biggest disasters that you've heard on the show?
3: Well, I think the all-time winner. And I hate to laugh about it because I'm an animal lover and Uh-oh. I empathize with the person who it happened to, but we got a call from a woman in Florida who explained that she had everything organized, the hors d'oeuvre were out on the, you know, the coffee table uh-huh. mm-hmm. and the turkey was in the oven and she finally was going to go and take a shower. And she she has two little kids, right? And she told them to make sure the dog was tied up because oh, oh, oh. The do- the, the, they had, they had a, a, I think, a French bulldog or whatever, and oh, that if somebody rang the bell, the no. dog would go crazy, so tie it up. So the two little kids tied it up to the <laughs> oven door. Oh. And the doorbell rang, and the dog got so excited, it ripped the door off of the oven and then proceeded to run around the house, crashing into things. You can imagine how terrified this animal was. But at the same time, it was a glass coffee table, <laughs> and and it went, goes on, and and I think that probably ranks oh. number one. Oh, my um, gosh. Yeah, so that, that would be, I think, the all-time worst disaster, uh, and, and one that had a humorous side to it, but it's, I think that dog would probably need counseling. <laughs> I think I so, think so how too. How was the
0: turkey? Did she ever say how the turkey turned out?
3: I, I don't think she was really... Really thinking focusing about focusing on the turkey, turkey for a yeah. long time i
4: <laughs> well that wow. definitely takes the cake for like the most unique yeah. turkey situations but yeah. i'm sure you yeah. hear a lot of the same type of disasters over and over and over um, is there one kind of really basic thing that you think people... i think the
3: basic one of the basics is the turkey is an ice cube
0: Yes, yeah. and, we that.
3: And, and, and it's really, this is a tough one because, you know, the fastest and yet safest way to defrost a turkey, and they're usually large. So you can't get them in the microwave. And even if you do, you're still going to have a lovely ice ball at the very center of the bird. Right. And, you know, it's the idea of putting them in a sink. I, you could even put them in a sink of hot water mm-hmm. the, if you're really crazy about it, to get it done. But I always wonder if one of the things we should have on hand just to be on the safe side is a buzz saw. Or a large, you know, one of those things that they carve trees with, you know, the hand thing. Because if you can get that thing cut up in half even, then you can defrost it pretty quickly. Uh, But the other thing is to think about, you know, as you get it defrosted, Mm -hmm. you start cutting along the back of that turkey. And as soon as you can, get two strong people, you may be one of them, and you start prying that bird out so that it's butterflied. (laughs)
0: Right. Well, and yes, that would go very, very fast. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The and then, of fast, course, yes.
3: yeah, the second disaster is somebody took the turkey out yesterday afternoon and left it on a counter where nobody saw it. And mm. can we make the turkey? Oh. Yeah. And, you know, the answer to that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a big at, no. And, yeah, but it's very – there was – there have been several of these, but there was one very funny one where this woman was just devastated. And I said, but look, you know, there's probably some markets open. You can do a turkey breast. You can butterfly it. You can do everything you want to do with it, mm-hmm. you know. And it could – I mean, if you're – if you can't – I mean, you could cook that thing in an hour. You could make scallops, whatever. And she said, but look, our family's really healthy. You know, can I pay <laughs> to the bird? <burn?"
0: laughs> you're so healthy she leaves oh it out God. overnight.
3: Yeah, but, That's you know, really she figured
4: funny. out, what would what, what, what it hurt once? Right, right. Exactly. So I think one of the reasons people experience so much angst when they're cooking mm. Thanksgiving dinners, there's so much to be done in only one oven. Well,
0: I have two and I still freak out.
4: Yeah, you freak out about everything. <laughs> uh, so, Lynn, <laughs> That's so
3: good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so reassuring.
4: <laughs> Lynn, have you ever heard from people who have tried to make turkey in other ways to save oven space?
3: Oh, oh yeah. Really, I think one of the most original ways of cooking a turkey we've ever heard was a roofer who called in and said, all you laughing. people with your ovens, yeah, you're, I mean, you know what's coming, <laughs> no, right? No, I don't. It, it, all right, this involved a bucket, tar, and a great deal of tinfoil uh, or aluminum foil. <laughs> And what he explained was, what he did is he took a large bucket, half, you know, quarter filled it with tar, seasoned the bird, wrapped it up in many layers of tin foil, put it in the bucket, and surrounded it with hot tar. Wow. Now, it wasn't a huge turkey, it was probably a modest sized turkey. A tar baby. It really is a tar baby turkey. Well, it's a tar baby turkey, but the other thing is, think about this: we bury pigs. Yes, we to do. Cook, yes. right yeah, true. right. I mean, yeah. there's, there's. I mean, you can cook, you know, in um, hot stones, and you put the dirt on, and yep, the clay, and the you know, whatever true. it is, the leaves. Why not a tar bucket? Why not? I think not? for the average cook, yeah. I mean, the tar is a little hard to get a hold of, but <laughs> yeah,
4: exactly getting <laughs> <laughs> well, up to the temperature that cold, you need. To... You know, I could see yeah, doing yeah. that on the in a if you've got a fire pit in your backyard. Oh
3: God, this absolutely. Is and
4: scary. if you've got a grill,
3: you know, on your your fire escape, mm-hmm. uh, and you hope it is not 20 below with 40 <laughs> mile an hour gale force winds, you can grill. And, and the other thing that's really neat to know mm-hmm. is if you are not into presenting the whole bird at the table, yeah. you know, with the ta da moment, mm-hmm. uh, uh, what you can do is you can cut up that bird. You can roast it, and then you can tuck it back in the oven for a reheat, or you can just roast it. And remember, the bird has a 30-minute rest period. That's true. It's a long one, yeah. Yeah, and if you've been strategic, you've done everything, you know, you've done And no recipe on that menu should end with serve immediately. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, you know, because other, exactly. you're insane. That's suicide. Yeah. And so the idea is you slip everything into the oven and, and then, you know, the bird's sitting there over there in the corner getting its 30-minute rest so it'll be juicy, tender, and wonderful.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Lynn, thank you very much. I hope people who are listening at home are getting a good chuckle and also some good tips from what you said.
3: Thanks so so much, Lynn. You're welcome and have a great holiday.
0: You too.
4: Lynn Rosetto Casper is the host of the award winning public radio program, The Splendid Table, Mm -hmm. and the author of multiple best selling books, including but not limited to The Splendid Table. I have. um, Me too. As well as The Splendid Table's How to Eat Supper Mm -hmm. and How to Eat Weekends. Got that one. Those last two were co authored with founding producer Sally Swift. Lynn is also just charming as can be.
3: Thanksgiving and Hanukkah, come light the manurkey. Once in a lifetime, the candles meet the
1: turkey. Our favorite traditions finally meet. Stuffing and latkes, oh, what a treat.
3: Thanksgiving and Hanukkah, come light the manurkey. Let's have a party.
0: And now for something completely latkes. different and inspirational. Our next guest, Asher Weintraub, a fourth grader in PS87 in Manhattan, realized that Thanksgiving and Hanukkah overlapped this year and had an ingenious idea. And he raised almost $49,000 on Kickstarter for his product, a Menerke.
4: Asher, thank you so much for being here with us and for bringing a Menerke. I know. It just kind of
1: rolls off the tongue. Menerke.
0: So why don't you tell all of our listeners what a Menerke is?
1: It's a menorah in the shape of a turkey.
0: And where'd you get this idea?
1: Um, we were driving in a car back from Florida, mm-hmm. and Mommy told us that uh, Hanukkah and Thanksgiving were on the same day mm-hmm. as she was looking at her calendar on her phone. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what if there was a menorah in the shape of a turkey?
4: Brilliant.
0: And that's how it started.
1: So what I'm impressed with is
4: you not only had the idea... But you made it happen. Like, it's one thing to think about a Minarchy but it's another to actually create it. So how did, how did that happen? Um,
1: well, we just, like, forgot about it for a while. Mm-hmm. Sure. But eventually we remembered and Daddy told me to, like, create, um, like, a version that I thought it would look like out of clay. So Great we idea. got some clay and I created one. It didn't look anything like that, but... What's a um, start? It's a start. And then um, we got it 3D printed like a prototype at MakerBot. And then we And come, did you
0: create the 3D version of that mm-hmm. yourself? You did.
1: On a computer program? Yeah.
0: I can barely print a document.
1: <laughs> I know. And he's printing and he's, 3D. Wow.
0: And so you had it made as a 3D prototype.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And what happened next?
1: Then we found a ceramicist, and she started making ceramic ones for us. Mm-hmm. And then we found plaster place, and then it just sorta of
0: took off. Yeah. How can people buy their own minurki?
1: Um, we're selling them online, but um, the Jewish Museum is mm-hmm. the exclusive retailer in Manhattan. Excellent. We'll be keeping an eye on you. We can't wait to hear what you come up with next.
0: Asher, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show. It was a pleasure and actually an honor to meet you and see your creativity. It
4: really is. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanksgiving and Hanukkah, come
3: light the monarchy. Once in a lifetime, the candles meet the turkey. Your favorite traditions finally meet. Stuffing and
4: like oh, what a treat.
5: Happy Thanksgiving. Wish you were here. Love
3: you. Thanksgiving and I was thankful. I was playing music with my friends. I was a little out of
4: tune, but I was singing right on time. Who decides what to pour at the Thanksgiving table? You or the one?
0: Almost always the one.
4: I figured. You don't talk about wine much. No,
0: I'm I'm more the food guy. You yeah. Know?
4: And that makes sense. And, you know, in terms of Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. as you know, Ian and I don't really do the traditional meals. Well, yeah, so we no. just do something crazy and then grab a couple bottles of our favorite bubbles. <laughs> yeah, you guys are the bruisers
0: and we're the gloves.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, so that's exactly why neither one of us should be recommending wines for the Thanksgiving table. Very good point. Here to help us mm-hmm. is Josh Wesson, mm-hmm. award-winning former sommelier. Turned wine drinker advocate. He's all about real wines for real people. And I mean, we're talking less than $20 a bottle for outrageous wines. Well, that's excellent. He founded Best Sellers, which became famous for stocking wine not by country or by grape, right, yeah. but by actual things that can help you, like soft, juicy, and luscious wines.
0: Mm, adjectives.
4: Adjectives. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, I'm going to stop talking and let Josh do some talking now.
2: Welcome, Josh. It's good to be here. Taste the final frontier. Exactly. <laughs> who knew?
4: So we've got a lot of people listening, I think, who are really anxious about what wine to serve at Thanksgiving. And I'm just kind of wondering, like, what is it that makes Thanksgiving so tricky? I mean, is it the turkey? Is it the side dishes? Is it everything on one plate?
2: Well, I think at Thanksgiving we tend to... Uh, channel this collective amnesia because, of course, Thanksgiving happens every year. Exactly. Mm-hmm. We know it's going to happen every year. We know exactly when it's going to happen, and we know who's coming to Thanksgiving and what they want to eat. We know what we have to cook, and yet we forget Everything about how to cook it. I mean, how, I can't tell you how many times I've forgotten how to roast a turkey.
4: Well, actually, we'll help you roast your turkey if, if you help the, us pick out one <laughs> wine. Wines for our
2: turkey. Well, you know, I mean, the angst that you channel in trying to figure out how to cook Brussels sprouts and turkey and stuffing over and over again in this kind of, you know, uh, shared uh, world of, of Groundhog Day <laughs> mm-hmm. where we wake up and we just have to repeat ourselves over and over again every Thanksgiving. Same thing happens with wine, but but I'm here. I'm holding the the, the gifts from the Temple Mount, you know, and these are not rules that tell you what to have. I'm here to say, forget about worrying. Mm -hmm. Forget about the anxiety. There should be no anxiety because you can almost do no harm when it comes to serving wine with Thanksgiving dinner. There are some things that are better than other things, and Mm -hmm. there are some things that you should avoid, and we'll go over that in due course here. But The bottom line is you can't do anything terribly wrong because it's not a holiday that demands pointillist precision when it comes to matching. It couldn't. Mm -hmm. Because think about your Thanksgiving dinner. It's a kaleidoscope of textures and tastes and Mm -hmm. flavors and smells and an even bigger kaleidoscope of of personalities and wants and desires. And and you've got this wild riot of people and and plates and foods on the table. It would be impossible. Even Boutros, Boutros Ghali himself (laughs) <laughs> Co- couldn't
5: couldn't couldn 't
2: make peace with all the stuff that 's before him I mean it really makes you know bringing together the arabs uh and and the Israelis a piece of cake right. compared, compared right. to trying to make peace with the stuff that 's on Thanksgiving table. so forget it know that you can 't do that, and nobody wants you to do that you know the The only things that you really need to remember
0: mm-hmm.
2: are that you should buy copious quantities of wine because Amen. the more you drink, the more amusing your relatives become. <laughs> right. You know it's really that simple and and you need 3 different kinds of wine you need a white Mm-hmm. you need a red, mm-hmm. and you need a sparkling wine. Oh, thank God you now, said that. Now, we can talk about the specifics of what kinds of sparkling white and red would go best with the wild array of dishes on the table, but the bottom line is you don't have to hit the bullseye with uh, with, with, a, with a dart. You're not hitting the... You basically just don't want to hit the bird in the cage next to the dartboard. <laughs> 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 so so if you aim and hit any part of it, you're going to be fine. I think I and can have And people are going to
0: be okay. So what are the absolute do nots when it comes to wine at Thanksgiving?
2: Well, um, you know, Thanksgiving foods, no matter how how different each individual family's table might be, all share some common threads. You're going to have foods that are going to be wildly different in texture. Mm -hmm. You're going to have some foods that are completely savory, Mm -hmm. and you're going to have some foods that are savory sweet, and some that are even pushing the level of sweetness before you ever get to dessert. Mm -hmm. You're probably going to have a lot of fat over the course of the meal, mm-hmm. and you're gonna have a lot of meal over the course of the day. You gotta pace yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and and Since you're gonna have food that's probably gonna be a bit salty somewhere along the way, salty and fatty and lots of it and lots of different kinds of things, from dry to sweet and everything in between, you gotta find wines that can handle that stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, I basically divide the world of wines into being a rifle shot or a shotgun. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're looking for the shotgun approach, the, the, the broadsword here, things that can chop down lots of foods, that can handle lots of flavors and textures and not pose any problems. So you're looking for wines that are going to be Modest in alcohol, because if you're going to be drinking all day, mm-hmm. good point. Right, yes. drinking high alcohol wines, I mean, you don't want to talk to God and it's a local call. <laughs> 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 that's, that's not the way to go. So I generally cap the wines that I serve at Thanksgiving at about 13% alcohol. Mm-hmm. And you can see them on the sides of the bottle. You yeah. don't have to know anything. Just read it right there. Um, I, I, I also like wines that don't have a lot of wood or oak. And I love oak and wine. I love oak and white wine. I love oak and red wine. I even like oak in certain champagnes. But what oak does is add a bitter component to wine, which can be pleasing a lot of times. But when you have a riot of flavors and textures, mm-hmm. oftentimes that bitterness can turn around and spank you like a, like a, like a cat of nine tails mm-hmm. or a, it's like a, a scorpion sting. Uh, the bitterness will actually be exaggerated by high salt in food, for example, and that can be a problem. So I avoid wines that have any significant component of oak, whether they're white or red. So, we're talking about wines that are modest in alcohol, Mm -hmm. that you can drink all day, session wines, like people call session beers, modest beers, wines that don't have a lot of oak, and here's the key, Mm -hmm. wines that are going to constantly slap you in the face and wake you up from your food stupor and say, let's eat some more. Nice. (laughs) And, And what kind of wines do that? Wines that have good acidity, wines that are Mm mouth-watering, wines that are palate-cleansing, wines that are juicy, wines that emphasize fruit without being sweet. So you can have this kind of etch-a-sketch to the things that you taste. So you you have some food, you take a sip of wine, your palate's getting cleansed, then you can have some more food. And and if it's modest in alcohol and it's not too anything, Mm -hmm. then, then you're gonna be fine. And there are so many wines from all over the wine world that have very little to no oak that are modest in alcohol, that uh, are, are high in acid and very refreshing, that it's not about a specific grape, like, oh, Sauvignon Blanc's the grape to go mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. or Gruner Weltlitter's the grape to go to. It's the style of the wine that you want that could gotcha. be made from those grapes. But let's face it, you know grapes aren't monolithic, so you could get a Sauvignon Blanc that's oaky and high in alcohol, and it could go all kerplooey mm-hmm. with the food that you're having. Yeah. So it's about understanding a little bit of the wine's style Mm-hmm. That will lead you to the promised land of deliciousness. And I will say this: it's a, I, 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 it's great to have a white and a red and a sparkling. A lot of people forget the sparkling. Yeah, we love sparkling. Both of us, Because spark- yeah. you know, sparkling wines by definition are refreshing. Yeah, absolutely. Sparkling wines by definition are palate cleansing and usually high in acid. Mm-hmm. They can be dry, off dry, or sweet, but they're never very alcoholic, because almost all of the world's really good sparkling wines come from cool climates. Because the people that make sparkling wine know that the grapes that come from cool climates have high acid, so they're actually powering those wines with deliciousness. And and I I just if I was on a desert island with you two and you two were cooking and I could only have one bottle float up on shore out of all the whites in the world and all the reds in the world, it would be a sparkling wine. You know what sparkling? Thank you very
0: much.
4: Yeah,
2: it would be a sparkling Shiraz. Mm. from Australia, or a Lambrusco from Emilia-Romagna. OMG, those wines, the sparkling red wines, which are an unusual sort of sidebar to sparkling wine, because most sparkling wine is white or rosé. They go beautifully with everything at Thanksgiving. It's just, I mean, I have won over so many, you could, even Scrooges and Mormons would agree (laughs) that sparkling Shiraz or Lambrusco is a viable option if you're only gonna have one wine to go with everything.
0: I am gobsmacked, Josh. Really, thank you for all of that information. It's fantastic.
4: Yeah, we're so grateful.
2: Just doing my
0: job. Josh Weston is an award-winning former sommelier, book author, and founder of the retail store bestsellers, which caters to a clientele who, like us, have discerning tastes, but sadly modest means. He's also a consultant for Fairway and also JetBlue. Josh gave us so much information in that interview that actually we had to cut it down, but he went on to give us a list of the wines that he's serving at his Thanksgiving, and that list right Renee is so outrageous is so amazing you
4: guys have really got to hear this list you've got to hear him talk about the exactly. wines. exactly
0: so we're including the entire interview and that list on the site and also on iTunes and it's called Josh Wesson uncut <laughs> You know, Renee, ever since we had John Bridges, the author of A Gentleman at the Table, and our go-to gent for etiquette on the show last time, I have gotten a lot of heat from people.
4: Why is that? I thought he was charming.
0: Oh No, he was. There was no problem with John. It was the fact that people discovered that I actually got up from the table and would leave my guests with the one while I went upstairs and went to bed. Because if they went beyond too long or it was a boring conversation, I just kind of left. So I have learned... A lot since that last time. That is the old me. I have I have been rejuvenated. I have turned over a new leaf. I never leave the table no matter how boring the conversation. I have not.
4: David, that's just common decency. You want a commendation for that?
0: The answer is yes. I
4: mean,
0: but that's getting it from me. That's another segment that you and I will have. Uh, John John Bridges was so popular. We thought that there is no better time to get etiquette guidance than on the holiest of holy food days, which of course is Thanksgiving. Amen. So welcome, John.
4: Thanks for joining us, John.
0: Well, it's my pleasure, my pleasure, David, my pleasure, Renee. John, we put out a call to our readers asking if they had any question about etiquette or what to do on Thanksgiving. And we have a ton of questions. A ton. So we narrow them down to some of the most salient ones, the ones we thought that were really very John Bridges-esque. So uh, we're going to ask you, and you can tell us what you think. That works for me.
4: The first question, actually, we heard this from countless people how do you tell someone not to bring anything to your Thanksgiving dinner because you know your cooking is better than theirs? Mm. This question was often asked in conjunction with the notorious green bean casserole.
1: <laughs> oh,
6: well, well, because, and also because you plan the meal and you know what you want to serve. Yeah. And so you don't need that screwed up by somebody bringing three bean casserole. Uh, you would hope that they would ask, what, what may I bring? So that you can say, I've got it all planned. That's very kind. But I've got it all planned, so so please don't go to that trouble.
4: Oh so gracious. Well or well, that's
6: a way to protect your own self too, you know, to put a guard around yourself. And if you like, you can say, Well, you know, a bottle of wine would be really great, but then get specific about that. Say, you know, we're I'm for dessert I'm serving the pumpkin pie and with that I would love a prosecco. Something like that, so that they can know what to do. But giving them direction, because if they're asking they need an answer. If they don't ask and they show up with it, what are you gonna do? You gotta put it out. You, you gotta put it out. Yeah,
0: obviously, it's a good thing you're not coming to my house for
6: Thanksgiving. Well, and you we can time.
4: always say, "Look at what Aunt Betty brought." So it's clear that it's not by choice. That That's got right.
0: It and wasn't it wasn't it nice of Tommy to bring the cheese grits again? Right. That kind of thing. So here's another question that we got, uh, which I think is very interesting. This is from one of our readers who says, All the guests want to, quote unquote, help me in the kitchen, although actually what they do is just get in my way. But when it's time to do the dishes, everybody disappears. Can I decline their help before dinner but say I would love their help with dishes after?
6: Well, I've actually done both of those things when I've been throwing a large dinner party. I will say, Have a drink, have a good time. Because I have a nice, big, entertaining space with a kitchen island. They can have a drink and then be part of the experience of me cooking. If if they want to do something, I can say, here, open the wine, whatever, that kind of little task. At the end of the meal, when I have stacks and stacks of dishes, I have been known to say, hey, everybody everybody, want to grab a stack of dishes and let's get this cleaned up. But traditionally, a gentleman, if someone asks, may we help May we help with the cleaning up? Traditionally, they would say, oh, no, no, I'll take care of that. I'll stay up till three in the morning. Don't
0: worry about me. Yeah, I'll just stay here in the corner of the dark while doing dishes. Well, see, I must be a true gentleman because we never, ever allow any of our guests to help clean the dishes clear the table anything it's always us
4: you're just worried they're going to break something
0: no
6: well, that's what that's what i was going to say cuz then you end up with you know the same count of flutes
0: that you started out with no that's you- not so much the reason the reason is because we always tell them When we go to your house, we're not lifting a finger. Ah. (laughs) Well, that, and that's lovely because then they understand. (laughs) They know exactly where I'm coming from.
4: Speaking of understanding and misunderstandings, this is actually a question that one of my girlfriends confided to me. She said, I know that if politics comes up before or during dinner, my father and my brother-in-law are just going to get into it again, and they're going to make everyone uncomfortable and ruin the day. How can she handle that?
6: Well, that's the joy of that lovely family holiday of Thanksgiving, isn't it? <laughs> uh, if you if you know that everybody sort of agrees politically, I guess you can bring up uh topics say, did you see that piece in the Times this morning about such and such? But even then, you're going to get people all heated up and take the fun out of the experience too. You really can say, you know, let's not talk about that. Let's move to another subject or you can just simply change the subject or if they won't put up with that, you can simply say, would you
0: guys like to take it out to the sidewalk? Okay. Oh, okay. So now we're going to go for the $25,000 question, which I know that this actually happened, that um, someone, a friend of mine had a dinner party and one of the guests got so riled up that he sort of up and jumped on his chair with his butt and then broke an antique chair. He was so angry. This what was a Tom Cruise. This was a Tom Cruise moment. Uh, he, no, he wasn't jumping up and down on his feet. He sort of like just went on his butt a couple of times to make his point. Now, what would you do in that case when you realize one of your beautiful antique chairs were broken? Well, you would hope that
6: they had done the jumping up and down while they were still sober, so that they would say the reasonable thing, which is, "Oh my God, I'm so sorry. What can I do about this?" And then you would say oh please don't worry about it but then hope that they would come back to you saying
0: oh no no let me let me take care of it oh you know what john i want to be you in a path in a future life I just think. well, but you're that's going to be me being passive aggressive, hoping
6: that exactly. Going to exactly. I was saying this They'll gentlemanly stuff
4: is very hope, complicated uh,
6: because you know good 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 manners is very very often a very passive aggressive <laughs> tactic, you know, and so you're going to hope that they come back and say the right thing to you, but wow. But on the other hand, if if they if it is your favorite, is one of your favorite chairs, and it matches all the all the other chairs at the table, and it's been you know, and your grand Grandmother sat in it while she was knitting afghans, all that sort of stuff. You can say, "Gosh, now, now, it's, I'm so sorry, but now the set's broken."
4: So, what do you say to a guest who thinks it's acceptable to unbutton their pants and pull out their shirt because they're so stuffed?
6: well i'm glad I'm glad it's their shirt you said they were going to pull out at that because <laughs> yeah, i was won, I was wondering where that sentence was headed. I was, I was wondering when I, 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 was, I was wondering where we were going I'm, you know all, all you can do if they do that, of course everybody's going to stare at them, but people are going to know it's not your fault that they did this rude and awful thing. And uh, you have the option of never inviting them to your table again, or if it's at a point in the dinner where you know there's still a while to go, mm-hmm. you could you could call them away from the table and say, uh, "Hey Jerry, I hate to say it, but your shirt tail is making Aunt Agnes really uncomfortable." Okay. You know, you, oh, that's you you know Which how about stuffing in Ann again? I mean, sure you, or maybe just if you're going to loosen your belt, you can step away from the table to do it. And then they learn a little something, and they'll learn the rules of your house. Th- that's but very good. Have, you know, if somebody's at rude, you don't, you don't have to have them back again, you know.
4: <laughs> John, thank you so much.
6: Yes, John, thank you. For sharing your
4: advice with us again.
6: Well, my pleasure, my pleasure. And, and a happy Thanksgiving to you. And, and to you, too.
4: John Bridges is the consummate Southern gentleman, even if he is a little passive-aggressive. <laughs> And he's the author of A Gentleman at the Table, (laughs) as well as several other books about manners. You can find John at johnbridges.com, and you can find his books online everywhere books are sold. to music at the dinner table, David?
0: Yes, actually every night. The One has music on every single night when we have dinner.
4: It's calming, isn't it? Very
0: calming, very soothing.
4: Yeah, I agree. I've found that the same. I've actually been doing a lot of research the past couple years, and I'm fascinated by how music affects the body and the mind. And um, actually, our next guest reminds us that sometimes dinner is about more than just the food, you know, and even more than what's on the table who's around the table it's it's about more than that and I think our next guest is a perfect example of that we have Kelly Hall Tompkins a Mm -hmm. concert violinist and the founder of Music Kitchen thank you so much for joining us Kelly thank you for having me it's great to be here
0: so Kelly that is an absolutely beautiful piece what is it?
7: That's the Sensen Fantasy for violin and harp mm. and I recorded that for my last CD and I've also performed it for Music Kitchen on a couple of occasions.
0: Okay, so for anyone who doesn't know what is Music Kitchen
7: Music Kitchen is a series that I conceived of and founded in 2005 to bring some of New York City's top artists in concert to New York City homeless shelters. Mm. Um, I'm a concert violinist, I play all over the world, and I realized that there was a lack of access to the kind of music that I play in the venues that I play them, and so I decided to reverse that and bring the classical music at a really high level, um, very accessibly performed to those audiences in homeless shelters.
4: I think that's just beautiful. Uh, What possessed you to do this? Where did the inspiration come from? Have you worked in soup kitchens before or...?
7: Well, I mean, I think like a lot of great ideas, they come out of circumstances. I was, um, anytime I perform solo works, I like to run through them before the main concert for my friends and colleagues. And at a particular time, um, a lot was going on. I just experienced the death of a dear friend and Mm -hmm. I waited to the last minute and I couldn't really find any friends and colleagues available. My husband and I were volunteer cooks at our church shelter from time to time and um, my husband got... Tired of hearing me say, oh, gosh, who am I going to run through this concerto for? He said, oh, I don't know. Just play it for the guys at the shelter. And oh, I did great. it as a fail safe in that moment. But what, as soon as I got there and I saw and experienced the amazing reaction to a violin concerto with no accompaniment even. Mm. Um, and when they asked me to come back the next night, I thought, this is... Is really something I need to create this properly with you know do some fundraising create a, an actual series and bring in a full complement of my colleagues to play chamber music chamber music is a very social musical art mm-hmm. um, both in its composition and the experience of performing it and I thought that not solo playing and not orchestral playing but chamber music is the perfect vehicle to reach people in this setting it's phenomenal um, and it's amazing and then when I you know when I have when I present some incredible music and works. Mm-hmm. I have friends and colleagues that ask me permission to come to the shelter to hear the performance, which I think wow. is a terrific paradox. Oh, you know, yeah. where you have, um, you know, the larger public having to go to a homeless shelter now mm-hmm. to hear a world class performance.
0: And what is the reaction, or what was the reaction, of your colleagues when you asked them to do this the first time?
7: I was nervous about asking them. I wasn't sure. Uh-huh. I myself was having lots of preconceived notions fall away, mm-hmm. and I wasn't sure at what rate my colleagues were in that kind of a process. Mm-hmm. So I asked them to come, um, and the very first performance, in fact, of the official Music Kitchen, this was after a year after my accidental foray into the idea, um, when I really galvanized my efforts and had the first performance. Um At the church shelter, usually there is a volunteer who cooks for the evening and a a paid coordinator, Mm -hmm. and the volunteer cook had not shown up that night, and we came arriving, you know, we arrived expecting to play, and I thought, who can appreciate Brahms when they're hungry? (laughs) And usually the, the paid coordinator just in a pinch orders pizza, but the second violinist who I was already concern for my colleagues, how are they gonna feel about playing You know, in the homeless shelter? They said, right. we can't have them eat pizza. We have to cook something
5: for them. Really, so what did you make?
7: Well, there was, at that shelter, there is a um, a, uh, a planned menu okay. for each night of the week, okay. and the in- ingredients for that have already been We're shopped already for. So we pretty much stayed with that. It was some sort of um, red sauce, and, and we had to defrost some sort of meat at the moment that people were due to arrive, you know, and wow. cook the dinner, and then play Brahms. So uh, my colleagues really got into uh, the, the idea of service, both mm-hmm. in cooking and that, that limited um, time, because that's not something that's part of the Music sure. Kitchen Mission, but in that case, we had to do it. Um, and so my, my colleagues were just really moved by the entire experience. And I remember one of the gentlemen at that men's shelter said, thank you so much for going way above and beyond the call. being here this evening. And it was, yeah, just a truly magical evening.
0: And I would say that Brahms is very appropriate to this because we know that he really enjoyed his food, especially (laughs) later in life.
7: (laughs) And also for me, I I think it's important to launch a project um, with things that are meaningful for you. And Brahms is definitely a composer that's very, very close to my heart. My mom even, I think this might have been before she did this, but she sketched a portrait for me of Brahms. And it's just Brahms is one of my favorite composers. I feel the music is so evocative and so powerful. And so I thought if I'm going to start this really important project, I want to start in the right place.
4: What a Lovely, lovely thing that you do, Kelly. Thank you so much. Kelly, thank
0: you so much for coming on the show. And we really wanted to have you on this show specifically, which is our Thanksgiving special, because I'm sure many people have given thanks for what you've done. And we would like to thank you for what you've done for our community here in New York. And we both want to wish you a very, very happy Thanksgiving. Thank
7: Thank you you so much. Happy Thanksgiving to you.
4: Kelly Hall Tompkins is a concert violinist whose career spans solo, concert and orchestral performances she has a new video recording releasing this fall which you can find on itunes as well as youtube and she's also most importantly the founder of music kitchen which you can learn more about at music
0: Clearly, Renee, on a Thanksgiving show, we can't leave without telling everyone what we have on the site for Thanksgiving. So what's on our specials board?
4: Uh, What isn't on the specials board? Mm -hmm. We've got recipes for everything. Whether you want old-fashioned or Mm newfangled, whether you want simple or sophisticated or a combination of both, we've got it. We've got turkeys galore. Any kind of turkey you could possibly want to make. We've got roasted, we've got stuffed, we've got braised, we've got grilled, mm-hmm. we've got smoked, we've got braised. Do you get the idea? <laughs> I got
0: the idea about turkey. Okay. What else? Side so
4: we've dishes. got cranberry relish, we've got cold, we've got warm. I mean the great thing about cold, of course, is that you can make it ahead of time and mm-hmm. it's one last thing you have to do at the last minute. Right. But we've got options no matter what you want. We've got stuffings, we've got mashed potatoes. Oh my god, do we have mashed potatoes? Yeah, we do have a lot of we've those. got vegan mashed potatoes, we've got the most uber butteriest velvety mashed, Rubble potatoes over your you thighs, mashed potatoes exactly maybe you not me <laughs> um we've got pies yeah oh the pies they're just lovely and we've got you're everything sighing to fill over in.
0: pies do you realize that you're sighing over pies these
4: pies are so lovely if you've had the pies you'd sigh too
0: So, well, my dear, I really want to wish you and E a marvelous and happy and delicious Thanksgiving.
4: Thank you, David. And the same to you and the one, darling.
0: Talking With My Mouthful is produced by Tom Vagley with Jennifer Russell and is recorded by Paul Ruwest at Argo Studios in New York City. Hello. The- <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> Sound like I'm 13 years old.
4: 13-year-old <laughs> boy meets Julie <sighs> Child.